Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And welcome back to Meeting of the Minds. Today I'm here with the great Sean Dedine, Rutgers wrestler, 40 under 40, entrepreneur, sales expert. You name it, he's got it. Sean, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for, thanks for the kind introduction. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's take it from the top. Let's go through your wrestling career journey to Rutgers and how that led you into sure. the business world. Yeah, I mean, I had a little bit of a weird um, college experience. I actually, and, and a lot of people don't know this, and I'll, I'll try to keep this part short because it's a little long-winded, but I actually went to Montclair State out of high school to wrestle, Division three school. I was recruited there. And August 1st or August 2nd, um, after high school had ended, I got a call from the head coach that they dropped the wrestling team. So um, I was in a weird spot. I, played, I started wrestling when I was four years old started playing football when I was seven years old. I played through high school. So it was kind of too late to tra like transition schools or leave or any of that stuff. And so I called up the head football coach, um, found his phone number online. I don't really know how I found it. But anyway, I got him on the phone and I was like, hey, I'm Sean. I played football. I wrestled. This is the story. I'm going to school and I'd like to be on the football team. <laughs> he was like, you know, probably confused how I even got him on the phone. And he's been there for like, he's still there now. I think he's been there like 30 something years. He has one of the most wins in college football history. And um, he was like, sorry, we're full. You know, camp starts in two days. So I got in my car and I drove from Bayville where I grew up to Montclair state. And I knocked on his door two hours later. I'm like, Hey, I just called you. And he's like, I don't know why you drove all the way up there. Like we're full. And I was like, Hey, I'm already here. I was like, I'm a really good long snapper. Would you mind just watching me snap the ball a little bit? And so I guess to amuse me, he sent me out on the football field and I snapped the football maybe 20 times or so for him. And he watched out of his office that overlooked the football field and then uh, called me back into his office, gave me a packet of papers and I went to football camp. So um, if he doesn't let me on the team or I don't drive there and no one told me to do that, I just kind of did it. 
if I don't do that, I don't know if like the rest of the story keeps going. It might have, I might have just kind of ended that there. So I don't give Montclair State football a lot of credit. They probably don't even know I played. I snapped. I was the long snapper. That's about the extent of my college football playing. I played a little bit of defense in some games where we were blowing the other team out. But um, without that, I don't. I probably don't continue. So anyway, I went there. I wasn't really loving school. I met my girlfriend, who's now my wife, Molly, who you know. And um, she graduated high school, and she's going to Johnson and Wales to wrestle or to, in Rhode Island. So I'm like, they have wrestling. I'll just call the coach, and I'll do what I did again. Called the coach. He basically said, like, hey, if you can get into school and you can walk on the wrestling team. So I did. I got into school. I followed my girlfriend, who's now my wife, to school. I wrestled there. Uh, I became the starter. I went, like, 31-7. and seven. I lost in the conference finals um, to a kid I had beaten earlier in the season. And in that conference, only the guy who won the tournament went to the national tournament. So he actually lost. I won the tournament. They have a true wrestleback for first, and we never wrestled. And he beat me in the true wrestle back for first. He went, he took third in the country, actually. So I was excited. I was like, I'm right there. I can, I'm going to stay here. I'm happy. I'm doing good in school, that whole thing. And then um, my high school wrestling coach, who I'm really tight with even today, um, got, you know, in touch with some people at Rutgers when Coach Goodale became the coach. And I luckily got put in touch with him and I became part of that first recruiting class that he had. And, um, and that kind of was the changing of the whole story because there's just such a, a different commitment level, not obviously from the athlete from division three to division one and um, division three athletics is serious and it's hard. And you still got to put in a lot of time to be successful. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm diminishing that because I spent two years as a division three athlete, but the commitment level from the university and from the donors and from things outside of the program itself, it's just a different level. So a lot of those people and the commitment level from the coaches, a lot of those people, um, made a big difference in how I am today. So Rutgers really played a big part of that. I'm glad I kind of had that journey and saw a lot of things and had some challenges that I had to overcome. That's awesome. And I feel like that's something that people really need to take notice of coaches and teachers that when you see a kid who's a hustler and a go-getter that, that is few and far between. That's a rare breed right there. And I notice when you look at the most successful people, that's what they have in common. They will go to someone's house. They will knock on a door. They will pick up the phone and make the call. Yeah. I mean, at the time, right. I didn't think much of it. I was like, I want to play football. So I got to go up there and, and convince this guy to play football. And, uh, but looking back on it and like talking to interviewing a lot of people and talking to candidates and even like talking to my athletes that I, I help assistant coach at a local high school, it's not, the first thing in their mind isn't like, Oh, I, I need to do this. So I need to go, I need to go do it. Right. You know? right. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's phenomenal. And then talk about how you've trans, have you transitioned from Rutgers then into business? Yeah. So I think that first story um, is important for later because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't grow up with, you know, a lot of money and my, my mom and dad had very um, modest, jobs and we had you know what we needed right but like you know it was like hey you're gonna go to college and you're gonna get a job and that was kind of like what was gonna happen so when I graduated college I didn't know really what and this seems like a common theme when I talk to other athletes and when I mentor some kids right now it's like I'm an I'm a I identified myself as a wrestler period like that's who I was it what I it's what I was it was everything right and well I graduate college and wrestling's over and so I'm like, well, who am I now? And what I realized doing some self-reflection 
and this took time. This didn't happen like on a Tuesday night. Right. But I realized that what I really loved about wrestling was the camaraderie and the, t- the coaches and the relationship and the competitiveness and the individual accountability with the team atmosphere. So when I started looking for jobs like that, a lot of people pointed me in the direction of sales and my father-in-law specifically, he, he was the first person to tell me you want to be in sales. And at the time, right. I'm like seven, you know, I guess at the time I'm 20 and I'm like, I don't want to do that. Sales was like, sales felt like, um, sleazy. Like it, it, what I, right. You think of like weird car salesmen, insurance salesmen, and those things aren't sleazy, but like, that's what you think when you don't know what you're talking about. And so I didn't want to be in sales. I thought sales was like trickery. Right. And then I realized like everything sales. And so I liked, I liked that because it felt like wrestling again. It didn't matter if you were a freshman or a senior, it didn't matter if your mom was on the PTA or your dad was the coach. We were going to wrestle. One of us were going to win all the things I did right or didn't do right. were going to be exposed. And I only had myself really to blame. And then I was kind of in control of my own destiny. And that was what I liked about sales originally was, I could make as much money as I wanted. I could get promoted as fast as I wanted if I was really in an environment that promoted the best person being the best person, not the most senior person being the best person. So, um, right. yeah, I mean, I use a lot of that. That's awesome. Now, talk about the influence of your father-in-law. Obviously, a big success in his own right and a guy who is always like a mentor for you. That's huge. That's huge. For sure. I, I guess. Um, a little part of that story too is I went to senior prom with my girlfriend who's now my wife. So we've been together for almost 15 years and we went to college together. So like we, we've never broken up or we've been together from the time I went to college until today. Um, and so my father, he was a really hardworking guy. He actually worked two jobs. He just retired October 4th um, from his jobs. And the one job was my mom had left and, and that's another story for another time, but my dad basically could have could have kind of like crawled in a hole and died, so to speak, right? Because she left and some, she had her own problems to deal with. And my dad had me, my brother, and sister. And at the time, I was the oldest. I was 15, I believe. And my sister was, say, 12. My brother was, say, 9. And he had to go to UPS to get benefits. And so he went to UPS, and they were only hiring um, people to load the trucks. So at like 52, this guy went to UPS and he had to load the trucks from two o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock in the morning. And then he went and worked all day, his regular job, just to have health benefits for me, my brother and sister. So like I got work ethic and like, just like, go do it. Like stop, no one cares. Stop complaining. It's, it, you know, figure it out. Right. There's not going to be someone there to like hold your hand and, and make it better for you. So I got that part from him. And then I meet my father-in-law who, like you mentioned, uh, really successful guy. He came here from Ireland when he was, say, seven or eight. He was the youngest of seven, and they didn't have anything, and he's become an extremely successful person in in every respect, not just financially, right, but, right, he's he's still married to his wife. He has, we have she, his daughter, right, and then, you know, our grandkids and hobbies and friends and all his sisters and brothers and all those kind of things. The family stayed together, all those different areas that you could define success, and, so he, I watched what a couple different decisions and a couple different thoughts could do. And I'm like, all right, like it didn't seem that unattainable, right? I'm watching this guy who's like super normal and I'm having harder conversations in my kitchen with my girlfriend's dad than meeting with business owners. Like you found out like they're just normal like you. So like if you went in there and stopped putting these people on this pedestal and just 
approach the conversation from a very normal aspect, it was pretty easy to build relationships. So, you know, I was lucky. I had a couple of good mentors early between my dad and my father-in-law and my high school wrestling coach, Mike Bischoff. Then along the way, my Johnson and Wales wrestling coach, the Rutgers wrestling coaches, Leo, Goodale, uh, those guys, right? So I've been lucky that I've had really good mentors come into my life at like the right time. And not everybody gets that, but I, I think that's a big reason I've gotten to where I am right now. Yeah, that's, that is absolutely huge. And then talk about how then you started your own business. Cause that's always a scary step. Yeah. So, um, I actually, I, I figured we would get to this point where we're talking about business. Right. And so I didn't, I don't know how other people started their businesses or what kind of pushed them over the edge. I never wanted to start my own business. I didn't think, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to work for a company for a few years and then I'll start my own thing. I didn't know what I wanted to do quite frankly. Um, But so I worked for a company for a long time, about six years after college, give or take, maybe five years, whatever it was. Um, And I got fired from that job. So I I don't really tell that story a lot. Obviously, it's not something that I'm super proud of. But when I look backwards at the things, you know, there was a lot of things that I think could have been done differently on both sides. And I've taken time to reflect on that and saw, hey, what, what didn't I like about that situation? What did I like about it? What could I have done better? So I, I got fired, long story short, and um, whether I agree with how it went down or not is a different topic, but I get fired and I go get a job. And I'm at a small company and I'm watching this guy run his business and he is the nicest, nicest guy going, like great at what he does, really, really nice person. And I'm watching him run his business. And I'm like, man, like, I think I could do this. Like it didn't seem, again, kind of like what I was talking about my father-in-law, right? It didn't seem that unachievable. And it didn't seem that, not that it's not hard, but it, like if you were willing to drive to Montclair and ask the football coach who's been doing it for 30 years to be on the football team, how hard is it to like work for yourself if you're going to work for somebody else? So I, uh, I was there for a while and I'm like watching this guy run his business. And I was really, I really admired that he had the guts to go out on his own and start his own business. And I was like, you know what? I'm 27, I guess I was 27 years old at the time. I'm the, I'm the youngest I'm ever going to be. I have the least amount of responsibilities I'm ever going to have. And if I don't go, and I hadn't, my son at the time was 10 months old. My wife doesn't, didn't work. She stayed at home with the kids, uh, which was her choice. She wanted to do that. So I'm like, you know what? I should just, I should just, if I'm going to do it, I should just do it. And I talked to a couple people that were really close to me in my life about, about it. And I was expecting everyone to say, Hey man, like, don't do that. You got a good job. You just had a kid. You're, you know, you're crazy. Don't do that. And I went to my wife first and I told her about it. And she, her reaction was like, you should absolutely do that. That's a great idea. So I'm like, all right. Then I went to her father and I told him and she, it's his only child, right? Is my wife. And I'm expecting him to say like, Hey, don't do this. And he was like, you should absolutely do that. That's a great idea. Then I went to my business partner, Len, who at the time, you know, obviously we've been friends since we were little kids and wrestled together growing up and that whole thing. And I was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And he was like, you should definitely do that. So, like, I started to get some, uh, you know, people set, people pushing me in the right direction saying, hey, sounds like you have a game plan. It sounds like you have the knowledge. It sounds like you want to do this. Um, you know, and I, it took me probably two years after the time I had lost my job at the other company until the time I started my company 
to be ready to do it, to think I wanted to do it, to, you know, all those things, right? It wasn't like, hey, a year after I'm doing this or I got fired and I'm mad and I'm doing it tomorrow. You know, I didn't want to do it at first. I, I just went and got a job and I was like, mm, you know, what do I want to do? So it took some time. But when I, when I looked back at like what I thought I was all about, and if I really think I'm a hard worker and I really think I'm good at these things and I miss the camaraderie of being in a big office and managing people and hiring them and training them and developing them and all those things that come with sports and coaching and training that I think people forget, like being a manager in a business is being a coach in a sport or a captain in a sport. If you've never been a coach, it, it is no different. It's leadership. It's caring about your people. It's pulling them in the right direction and things like that. And, if those are the things I missed and I really thought I was talented, then I should really just stop talking about it and, and put some action in, in the play. So I, I decided to open the business August 17th, uh, 2000, or excuse me, August 1st, 2017. And lock on wood, we've, we've been really lucky. We've grown really well. We have 18 employees now. Um, we were ranked in the top 250 privately earned, uh, held companies in New Jersey this year by NJ Business Magazine. Uh, we were voted the top five places to work in New Jersey by the same magazine. So all those kind of things, they're just, they reaffirm the things you're doing right and they, and they make you feel good. But it's, it's really just about the people. I mean, the thing I'm most proud of is every single person we've ever hired besides one person is still with me three and a half years later. And I don't think many businesses can say that especially many staffing or sales businesses. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really big deal because that turnover is a lot very common, right? Especially in your field. Usually turnover is really common. Uh, the first six months as a recruiter, like it's either for you or it's not. So, I mean, that's been big for us. I think about any business or think about um, any sport, really. Like, you know, there's some, some freshmen, say basketball or football, right? They come in, they make an impact right away and then they go to the pros. But like, think about, freshmen in wrestling right now they're coming in they can win ncaa titles they can compete with guys on the world stage so like the people are coming in they're more polished and you know they want chances to be really successful so for me i, I like you know i wanted i want to get people on my team that want that are hungry that want to win and then if i can coach them up and i can care about them better than anybody else can i think i can get us where we want to go definitely now if you're taking someone under your wing what kind of mindsets, mandatory mindsets must they have? And what are maybe some common mental mistakes to avoid? Great question. Um, I mean, for, for me, when I interview somebody, I want to see if, um, if discipline plays a big part of their life. Because there's going to be a lot of times where you're really not motivated to do what you want to do, right? Like, I work out regularly, and, and I was a heavyweight in college, and I had a big belly, and now... I'm not a heavyweight in college and I still, I have a belly that's not as big as it used to be, you know? And I, I try to, I try to stay in shape because just like sports, I can only give as much energy as I have. Right. So if I eat better and I stay in shape and I get to bed at the right times and I wake up and work out all that impacts how I think and how I can move all day. So from a mindset standpoint, I'm, I'm thinking about discipline and how that person's maybe been disciplined in areas of their life where they've done things they didn't want to do for reasons they didn't really feel like doing it, but they, they got through it and got it done. I think that plays a big part because quite frankly, staffing, the job is not sexy, right? It's not, the, especially in recruiting, right? It's a lot of grunt work. You're, you're scrubbing through a lot of resumes and a lot of people and making a lot of phone calls. 
you know, my, my average recruiter makes somewhere in the neighborhood of 11,000 outgoing phone calls a year. Now, not everybody answers, right, but they're dialing the phone about 11,000 times a year. They're making between 30 and 40 placements a year, right? So if you talk about 11,000 phone calls to get 30 people jobs, that's a lot of no, you know? So the discipline to make those calls every day. Um, I look for stories, you know, like I have in my personal life, whether it's the football coach or my mom or getting fired from my job, where like it would have been very easy and socially acceptable to a large group of people to kind of crawl and die and feel sorry for yourself and give up forever or for a period of time and, and make a bunch of excuses as to why that would be okay. But I look for stories where that happened and the person didn't. And then specific in that story, there's usually somebody that helped them in there that could take no benefit from it. So if I see somebody that's been able to overcome that obstacle and then identifies, hey, I didn't do it on my own, someone helped me, and then they have some loyalty to that person, I feel like those are traits that I do really well with. I can take that person and get them up. And then it's, and then it's somewhat like I have a lot of athletes, college athletes that worked for me. And or, or especially, I think probably everybody in my company has played at least a high school sport. Um, but I have several college athletes. And I, I just think the mentality of perseverance and resilience and discipline, um, I think those are the biggest things, right? So I look for those to come out in their stories because the mindset, like I feel like in an interview, if you're smart enough and you, you've done enough of them, you can kind of like tell me what I want to hear in many cases but it's hard to make up a personal story that actually happened to you. So I try to make the interview as personal as I can. And some people let me write in and they end up working here and we have great relationships. And some people are like, Hey man, this guy's asking me questions that are too close to the heart and I don't know him yet. And that, that relationship is never going to connect with me personally. And, and I don't think it connects well with our, with our candidates because you got to learn about these people very quickly. And so um, I would tell you that if I, if you had me narrow it down to discipline and the resilience and the loyalty would be the three things that I'm digging for on interviews the most. Great. Great. And then what, what kind of things would you say people need to avoid mental hurdles, mental mistakes that people make? We always call them the mindset red flags, right? So what, what would you say some yeah. of those mindset? Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, I think people just give up too quickly. Like, you know, I, I hate to keep kicking back the stories that I just told, but like when you're looking at that football thing, when they dropped the program, I could have been like, man, that stinks. Guess I'm not playing a sport this year, even though I've played a sport every year since I can remember being a person. Um, guess this is the year it's not going to work out for me. I was like, you know, I just, something in me was just like, no, I'm, I'm going to go play football now. That's the next best thing I can have. So I think just like not, not just giving up because, you know, and that's a big thing in sales, right? For people listening or, you know, and you know this from your company, right? Like just because someone said no, that doesn't mean no forever. And that doesn't mean um, you could have caught them at a bad time, in a bad mood, on a bad day, when their business isn't doing well. So like when I hear no, okay, like I'll try Let's Let's get to the next thing. Like when should I try you, right? Get to the next thing. So I think just not taking no for an answer and just you, know, you can be respectful about it, but like, we're going to call you back and we're going to move on and we're going to get back in touch. Um, so that's number one. I think another hurdle is everybody feels like the next thing they do, like whether it's a promotion at a job or a new job is big and scary. 
And what I've found is every time I've, I've done anything, whether it was go from Division three sports to Division one sports, go from a, you know, a company from a recruiter to a salesperson or to a director of business development or running my own company now, with one employee running it with 20 employees. It, it, it's just more, it's just more, right? So it's like you start to talk to people and we have clients. I have clients that do $20 billion in revenue that build, you know, thousands of homes all over the country. When you deal with their executives, they're people too. So if you treat them, not, not being afraid of the moment or not being afraid of the person and just treating them like, probably like they want to be treated like a normal person and feeling like you belong in the conversation. I think those are things people often feel like maybe they're not good enough. Um, and that's probably what I was doing, right? When I was asking my friends and Molly, if I should start my own business, like seeing, am I good enough? Do they think I'm good enough? Like, cause obviously I cared what they thought or I wouldn't have asked them. Right. Um, subconsciously. So I feel like some people feel like they're not good enough to do the next thing or have the next thing or they don't deserve it. And my opinion on that is if you put in the work and you know, you do, then you do, you do deserve it. You deserve it as much as anybody else does. So that's, I think a big thing that I would tell people like, especially younger people is like, when you get to a new company, like you belong there, they hired you. So you're there. So now act like you're there, be there, like that whole thing. You know, I, I think it's very relatable to sports. That's awesome. A lot of tremendous information there. And I hope the people that watch, because we're obviously we're pre-recorded pre, pre right now, they're taking notes yeah, because yeah. these are all little gold nuggets of information. Tell the story real quick of, so the, um, the connection I linked you up with and the phone number, it was missing a digit. Talk about that. And I think that also really oh. encapsulates being a hustler and a go-getter. Tell that. Yeah, that, that's actually a funny story. So um, Gene has been very nice to introduce me to some connections he knows. And um, there was an architecture firm that I was trying to build a relationship with, and I was having trouble getting people on the phone. And I saw Gene, was you were connected to um, – you know, someone over there from growing up. And so anyway, I got, uh, she sent you an email that said, Hey, have them call me. Here's my phone number. And it didn't have the last digit on the phone number. So right. If it was my phone number, it's whatever it's eight, three, nine. And then it didn't have the last number. So I called you and you didn't answer. And then I called into the company and she wasn't there at the time. So I'm like, man, I really want to call her right now. So I called every number. And of course, I started at zero and worked from zero to nine and obviously it was number nine. So I had a call literally zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And like almost on every other number, somebody answered. And I had, it, I don't remember the name offhand, but I, I think it was Christine. And I'm like, Hey, it's Christine. This is Sean. So, and some guy would answer be like, no, nah, this is Frank. You know, you got the wrong number. And I had to do that eight times. And of course on the last number she answered, but, it was, it kind of broke the ice because I told her that story, but I guess that's the same thing as, you know, I could have waited for you to email me back. I could have waited for her to email me back. I could have waited two or three days. Things could have changed. She could have got busy. We could have not connected. I could have forgotten. Um, but instead I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll just, I'll call the nine numbers and get the person on the phone. So yeah. That, that is awesome. And I mean, that goes back, I think, back to the story of what you were talking about with your dad, about just find a way. Don't make excuses. If you want it, go get it. Make it happen. That's For sure. I mean, think about that, right? Like, 
not to air out all my dad's laundry. He actually just got remarried uh, a couple weeks ago. So, um, but not to air out all his laundry, but you know, him and him and my mom split up when I was 15, she left and they were together for like 20 years. Right. So, and they were together for like seven or eight before they had gotten married. So it's like, it would be very reasonable for him to be sad and not want to do the things that he wanted to do. And trust me, he was sad. Right. And, and I'm sure he did a lot of things he didn't want to do, but he had responsibilities and he had people that relied on him, you know, m- my brother, my sister and I. And so he just did it. I don't know why he did it. I'm sure nobody told him to, um, you know, looking backwards. Cause I know the people that were around. So, you know, I, I, I take, I, I just, that makes it easy for me when I'm just like, ah, today stinks or today's really hard or my life's not that hard, like in comparison to what really hard things could be. Right. I, you know, I, I do a lot of challenging things and, and I gotta, I gotta serve people in my life and take care of people in my life. And, you know, hold up my responsibilities. But in the grand scheme of things, like I'm a, I'm a very lucky guy in, in a lot of respects. So like when I think about how hard I got it, and then I think about my dad going to work from two o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock in the morning, and then working the whole day after from the time, from like the last 16 years before he could retire, 17 years before he could retire. I mean, that's pretty, it makes it easy to get up and just go to work. That's it. That's an, that's another key mindset that I notice with successful people, especially during the whole pandemic. They're like, yeah, it's tough, but it could be a lot tougher. Like, I don't have it nearly as bad as these people. And I think a lot of people don't look at it that way. But I'm noticing a trend with highly successful people. They say it could have been a lot worse. You know, and you know what? The, let's talk about the pandemic for real for two seconds real quick. When that happened, like I'm a business that's three years old. That stinks, right? Like we're right in the thick of like getting going and like really starting to like take really big steps in our business. And then like, we got to throw the brakes on and that stinks for me personally. But when, but when I look back, when I look back on it, like, I'm like, when that happened, I'm like, all right, financially, we're good. We got our employees. We, we, we game plan what we have to do. Right. And then we, we work to hit those things so that we can make sure that we kept, we didn't lay anybody off. We didn't cut anybody's hours. We gave most of our employees raises. We gave, all of our employees, their um, expected commission that they didn't even earn during that period of time, because in sales, you, you rely on your commission for, for your pay. Um, so me and my partner immediately put together a game plan and we're like, all right, if we hit these things, these minimum things that like right now, we just got to hit these things. We're going to stay alive. We're going to be able to pay our people. We're going to be able to grow, right? We're going to still be able to grow a little bit, maybe not as much as we wanted. And maybe, a little stagnant here and there. Right. But like, these are the things that are going to get us better. So with that, right. Like I actually, from the time that that happened through May, May 10th, um, I didn't drink and I, I drink whenever, like everybody else, I have a glass of wine on the weekend or I go out, whatever. I didn't drink at all. I worked out every single day. I ate a really clean diet. I was like, I need to stay. I can't get sick for, for, yeah, I have a wife and kids. I can't get them sick, but like, I have to be, on for the next three or four months in this pandemic, because I need to keep in touch with all my clients and I need to see how they're doing and where I, where can I help them where they're not spending money with me? We had several clients that we helped set up their, uh, my partner's really good IT, you know, and a lot of operational stuff. A lot of them had phones. They didn't even realize linked to a zoom account that they can actually get virtual stuff from home. So we had, we found out a couple of our clients had that and he set it up for them. 
Um, we had a couple of people that unfortunately had layoffs and they didn't want to lay off these people, but they had to, to for their business. And so instead of just saying, hey, you're laid off, I feel horrible about this, see you later, they put them in touch with us. And a couple of those people were actually able to get jobs. One woman, she lost her job on a Friday and she started working in the middle of the following week. So like there was no gap in, so servicing our clients another way during this period of time and just keeping in touch with them. Um, and then internally, we had a lot of downtime because we didn't have as many openings as we normally have. So we really went back to like the basics and started training our employees. So every night from five to six, me or my recruiting manager, Connor, or one of my BDMs ran a, um, ran a recruiter development meeting uh, four or five nights a week for all of our team to get better and reaffirm the basic things we do. So we put together a plan to say, hey, we're going to get our butts kicked anyway for the next four months. So let's just get our butts kicked the least we can and get everybody better. And if we keep in touch and really care about our clients at a really bad time, and not just care about them like, hey, got any openings? Can you give us some money type of thing? Um, we're going to build stronger relationships. Our recruiters are going to be better. And then when everything starts to come back, which at some point it's going to, the world's going to end, um, we're going to be in a good spot because we cared about people more than just can they make a placement with us. So Right. Um, that's, that's huge. And that is the mindset you need to have. Talk about, okay, so who do you service? Where can people find you? How do we point more people your way? Yeah, great question. So um, who do we service? So our, we're a staffing and recruiting firm, and we have ty- different types of hiring. So we have our executive search, which is more your C-level, vice president-level employees where there's an executive search. We have um, a temporary or consulting-based search where if you need people for a temporary period of time. And then we have our permanent search, which is, which is a majority of our business. So we service um, real estate development companies, construction management companies, architects, engineers, and environmental consultants. So anything, if you see any construction project, whether that's a road, a bridge, a highway, a town, a, a building, whatever it is, anybody that's on that job with the exception of labor, um, we, we fill those job openings and, and place those people, civil engineers, all types of architects, estimators, project managers, superintendents, those kind of things. Separately from that, we have a support service division that uh, two girls that work in my office, uh, two of the first, two first people I hired actually, um, Deanna and, and Nicole, they handle our support services division. So inside of those companies and in some external companies, they have um, you know financial operations, marketing operations, human resources, administration inside of those companies, and they handle all those positions for our clients. So um, anything accounting, finance, marketing, human resources, administration, and then anything construction related, we're your guys. Um, and then you can find us anywhere, you know, on LinkedIn. You find us on our website, um, actstaffing.com. And, and really, uh, we try to have a heavy presence, which we take a lot, actually, I'll say, from you guys, you and your brother. We take a lot of uh, stuff from you guys. We try to have a heavy presence on LinkedIn. We've just got more involved with Instagram and, and Facebook. And at first, I was kind of against it. I'm like, hey, we're, we're, our clients really aren't on Instagram or Facebook. But what I failed to realize, and uh, I think I realize now, is that our candidate pool and the people that we're going to work with to place in jobs, when they're looking at what we're all about and who we are, they're on Instagram and they're on Facebook. Um, and the girl in my office, Leanne, who runs our all of our social media and our LinkedIn 
um, and, and edits all of our articles that we put out. We put out articles every other Wednesday on best practices about interviewing and things like that. And she does an awesome job running all that. So I'm lucky, you know, the same way I had mentors, I have really talented people around me that care about what they do. And so I think that's a big difference internally why we've had some success early on is everybody really, it, it's cliche. I hear everybody say, we feel like a family and everybody's bought in, but like we've been around for three and a half years. We've grown a lot and, and every employee we have is, is here and, and working hard. So I feel very lucky that I have a lot of people around me that care about what they're doing and care about us. Yeah, and that's the sign of a successful manager right there, that you're able to cultivate those people during the difficult times, also to have an eye for what other areas might they be strong at and allowing them freedom to flourish in those areas. And overall, everyone wins. They win. The company wins. It's great. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have talented people now. Why am I going to tell them what to do all day long, right? That's why we hire them. That's right. That's right. Any links you want me to send, just let me know. I'll throw it in the show notes on YouTube. We'll get it up there. Sean, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll talk soon. All right. See you. All right. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.